Hey guys, back for another podcast. Welcome to the She's the Phoenix podcast. Um, I'm your host, Natasha Lynn, and uh, tonight we're going to dive into a pretty heavy topic. Um, yeah, so let's get started. Um, as a lot of you know, and the reason why you guys follow me, the reason you guys are listening to this podcast is probably because you've lost because you've gone through extreme trauma, because you are trying to move through the grief, trying to move through the loss, trying to move through the trauma, trying to heal the childhood wounds, trying to understand the addict that you have in your life, trying to understand why you lost the addict you had in your life. Um, Just a lot of different stuff that you're going to be... moving through. Sorry. (laughs) Okay, so let's chit-chat a little bit about some things. Um, If you don't know my story, uh, well, tonight we're not going to go back to the very beginning because Lord have mercy do I have from the very beginning, from a very young age. We'll talk about all of those things and how it shaped me. But tonight, I feel like we really needed to touch base on grief and the beginning stages of grief, specifically what that looks like, what happens, what's going on in your mind, are you going crazy, are you lose like, you know, are you losing it, um, why is everyone driving you nuts, why can't you just be content for five seconds, there's just so many things about the beginning of grief. So the only way I know how to do this is to tell you about my first experience with the most heavy grief of my life. In 2018, my husband died. Um, Let's see, so he was 22 and I was 23 years old and we had just had a baby. Literally, he was born October 13th and my husband was killed October 31st of 2018. Um, so we were young. We were married barely six months. Uh, we were just starting life together. We were buying a business. We were doing all these things. Um, and it's important that you know this aspect of it because everybody's grief is different because everybody's story is different. So, you know, the woman who lost her husband after 25 years is going to feel extremely, I mean, different than me who lost my husband after six months. And it doesn't mean that it's less or, you know, like I'm belittling my situation or they're belittling my situation. It just means it's different. No two griefs are the same. Even if somebody's husband died the exact same way that mine did, it would still be different because that relationship was different, because the energy was different, because I'm a different human than they are, because my husband was a different human than their husband was. Um, So in a sense, you truly are alone in your emotion. Um... In a sense, in the grief, in a sense. Um, however, 
I do not like the thought of like being isolated uh, from the grief. So, which was something that's really heavy in the beginning. In the beginning, you are so stuck in the nobody, nobody can, nobody can fucking know how this feels. Absolutely nobody knows how this feels. There's no fucking way. There's no way that anyone could experience a pain this deep. They have no idea what I'm going through and they, they can't. And that feeling is so valid. It is. It truly is. But it is so isolating and devastating to your core. Um, it creates a scenario where you cut yourself off from help, um, from love, from all kinds of different things because you don't think that anyone can understand or connect or see, you know, the bigger picture of what's going on. All they, they can possibly understand. Um, and that's how I felt when my husband died. I mean, you know, he was 22. He was healthy. I mean, he wasn't like, you know, cherry on top running five miles a day doing everything he should healthy but he was he was a 22 year old young man he was you know he worked hard he was a great husband he was a great human um he should there was there was nothing that was saying hey he's gonna die (laughs) um but that happened he died he died in um and it was completely fucking unexpected and ironic because Halloween was tied for his first favorite holiday with 4th of July. Um, and he died on Halloween. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what happened when Curtis died inside me. The reason that we talk, I talk about exactly what happened with me is one, I know some of y'all are a little nosy and want to know what went down, what really went down. Um, and you guys have heard different versions, but you probably haven't heard mine fully. So you will, uh, probably more than once on this podcast, but this is what happened when Curtis died. First off, Curtis was taking my dog to the vet because my dog was having an emergency. His, or her, excuse me, her eye was infected and there was stuff coming out of it and it was scary and I was also, you know, like postpartum, like a couple weeks postpartum. Just holding a brand new baby in my arms and my dog of 13 years is not looking too hot and I'm kind of freaking out. So he loads it up in the car and uh, my brother and one of their best friends get in the car and that's the last time that I ever saw him. Um, he called me when he was on the way to let me know that he was going to have to drive uh, about an hour away from where we lived um, towards the beach. He was driving to Astoria for those of you who are local and know who I am. Um, because Vancouver the emergency vets wouldn't take her for some reason. So we had to go to Astoria and they stayed open to bring her there. Um, and he called me when he was on the Rainier Bridge and told me, baby, we got to go 
to Astoria. And I said, okay. And then he said, it's going to be okay. And I said, okay. But he was in such a rush. And I was so caught up that we didn't say I love you. That's probably one of the heaviest things for me. I always think about that last chance I had to tell him I loved him and I didn't. Anyways. Um, so fast forward. I think that knowing the story, sorry, we're, we're pivoting. I think that knowing the story, especially from my perspective, uh, kind of gives you a deeper understanding of my grief, which helps you understand the reality of all of it. Sorry. Okay. So, um, here we go. Back to the story. (laughs) Uh, he... You know, he got off the phone with me. Um, Fast forward to when I find out. The way that I find out is hours later. And my entire family knew. uh, My entire family, well, minus my uh, sister-in-law. Because she was sitting at the house with me. And I was completely unaware. And she knew. Um, My mom was on the phone with my brother when... Curtis was dying, um, and he was drugged to death in front of my brother and their best friend under, yeah, a truck. Anyways, um, so they watched that. My brother is 18 years old and he watched that. Um, okay, so he was drugged to death. My family was all there. All of them knew. My mom was standing looking at me when my brother called and was screaming. And I couldn't hear what was happening on the phone, but he was telling her, they're killing, he's killing him, he's killing him. Curtis is dying. And my mom um, just looked at me, looked at my baby in my arms, turned around, grabbed my dad, started pushing him out the door and said, we have to go right now. And I thought it was something bad about my dog. And uh, I didn't think anything else until, you know, time started going by. And... My granny, who is now in heaven as well, uh, showed up and held my son for me. Kept wanting to hold him over and over. And I still thought it was just my dog. And my whole family came in. And then Curtis never walked in. Um, you know. And I thought they were going to tell me, hey, you know, Cece didn't make it. And I was, like, prepared for it, you know, as much as I could be. And then Cece walked in. And her eye wasn't any different um, than it was when it le- when she left. You know, there was nothing. She hadn't been, her eye hadn't been fixed. And I was like, where's Curtis? You know, thinking he's outside. He, sm- he was a smoker. So I figured he was outside smoking. Because he had just been hours with my family, you know. So I'm like... <laughs> Oh, God, you know, he's probably just outside trying to decompress from, I mean, we live with him, but, you know, uh, yeah, and he wasn't there, um, and they had to tell me, you know, and, and that is when my entire world stopped. I don't know, uh, maybe you can understand this, but, like, when you have that person, you've, I wasn't. I made a lot of bad, I don't even like to say bad, I made a lot of poor decisions 
before Curtis and I didn't really have a lot of respect or self-care at all for myself. I just really didn't care. Uh, and he really respected me and he really wanted me to respect myself. And, uh, I became just this better version of me, you know, for him, um, for myself, but mainly for him. I don't know. When you lose the person that you changed everything for. Um, and not because they they walked away from you. But you know because they, they're gone. They're dead. It's just something. I can't really. You have to go through it. You just do. It's just a different experience. I hope that you never have to go through it. Or when you do lose the love of your life, that you lose them at a very old age. <laughs> Not that I think it will be any easier, but at least you'll have years, decades with them. Um, you know, and so grief began um, while I'm postpartum, while I have this brand new baby, while I'm trying to just, like, literally, you know, take in... He's not coming home. And I'm like, where is he? What hospital is he at? Is he going to be okay? You know, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm willing to go anywhere, do anything, fix any, he, he could have lost all of his damn limbs and I would have taken care of him for the rest of his days. You know, I was ready for anything but him being dead. Um... And I just remember thinking, how fucking selfish of you guys to all get to be there. You know, how disturbing that is. How fucking disturbing is that? Like his crime scene. And I'm angry as hell that my whole family got to be there. And, you know... That the boys got to sit with him. And I know that's so messed up. But like this is this is grief. This is part of what happens with grief. Like you're angry as hell. <laughs> and you're just. A sad doesn't even explain it. It's like a. It's like the sadness in your soul. Is so insanely profound. You can't even feel anything else. And all you want to feel is nothing. And then you feel crazy at the same time because one minute you're okay and you've almost forgotten. And like, not that you forget, but you get distracted. And it's not the main thought, you know. And then it, it pours right back in almost immediately. Or, you know, I'm just sitting on the couch trying to watch TV shows with my family. But the problem is we're watching TV shows about relationships where they get to fix these relationships or these people are totally POSs to their significant other. But yet, here they are and they're getting to work it out and they're alive and they're alive. Did I mention that? They're alive. <laughs> and they get to be in this relationship anyways. And then I'm looking around my living room and I'm looking at my brother and his girlfriend, who's now his wife. And I'm looking at my mom and my dad and, you know, and I'm judging these relationships. And I'm, I'm I mean, 
I wasn't really mad at my brother. I hated seeing him with his girlfriend um, because I was so jealous. I was so angry that they were going to get something that I was I was never going to have. And my mom and my dad was so pissed. Like, my dad is an addict um, who's now dead as well. And, you know, so looking at my mom and my dad and thinking, like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, dude, you've used so many drugs in your lifetime and you've done all of these crazy things and been all in these crazy scenarios and you guys got 20 something years together at this point and you know I'm sitting here like like why the why do you guys get that why did you guys get it Curtis wasn't an addict he wasn't a bad guy you know and I'm angry at the entire world for being able to love. I was angry. So angry about love. Um, so if you're angry. And you don't like. <laughs> you can't stand it. It's overwhelming. It's frustrating. You, you just feel resentful towards everybody. Who is still so madly in love. And happy. Um. You're not alone, and it's not weird, it's not unusual, it's normal. It's normal when you've lost your husband, when you've lost that significance. It's okay, it's normal to be pissed. It's normal to feel jealous. It's normal to feel frustrated. To I was yelling at the TV constantly. I was throwing sh- shit at the TV. I was... I, I was snappy at, you know, any, anybody in a relationship. I was just, and if anybody complained about the relationship, I just couldn't even handle it. I would just, I would just go off. I would just lose it. I'd be like, what is wrong with you? Shut up. Shut up and be happy that you have it. Dear God, what I would do to have one more fight with that man, you know? Um, and people really didn't understand that. They had no idea. You know, I just saw a grieving girl um, who was becoming resentful, you know, but they didn't, they didn't understand why. And I could say, I could tell them, I'm just jealous or, you know, like it's unfair in my eyes or whatever. And they could, they could understand the feeling of jealousy or they could understand why it would seem unfair but they didn't truly feel that to their core because they hadn't experienced it. So I need you to understand that you're not alone if that's something that you're feeling in the beginning. It's normal. And sometimes it's not just the beginning. And I hate how some people put a timeline on what the beginning of grief is. Okay. So I was just curious when when do you think the beginning of grief starts and ends? Since everybody seems to get to have an opinion about this, specifically people who haven't even lost anybody. It drives me nuts. Um, I'm going to tell you that at, you know, one day of grief and one weekend of grief, uh, one month in of grief, two months in, three months in, six months in, eight months in, 12 months in, um, so you're, you're now hitting a year milestone of being without this person 
at what point in any of those time periods should it not be new? Should it be figured out? For every holiday, for the birthdays, for the all of the moments, uh, for moving into a new year without them. Uh, how, how, how when is it supposed to be the end of the beginning? That's that's what I want to know. Um, there's always something that can trigger the grief in a different way than we ever expected. Because grief changes and evolves as time goes on. It does not get easier. Okay? Grief is a ball like this. Okay, and it doesn't shrink down and eventually just get to the fingertip. Not how it works. It is, it stays like a fist, okay? And then you grow around the grief. And eventually you try to grow so much outside of the grief. And the grief still is the same size, right in the center. But you grow so much around it that it seems less. And you are more prepared and more capable of walking through it when those moments happen or acknowledging that it's a part of who you are now. But it doesn't just go away and it doesn't just all of a sudden one day you wake up and go, oh God, I'm over it. And it's not holding on to something forever. It is, in a sense, you, you, are we to forget the ones that we loved because they're not here anymore? I mean, when trying to tell somebody who's grieving after three months, you know, oh, it's been three months. It's time to get going. Time to move on. I can't tell you how many times people have said, and didn't say move forward, move on. I hate the term move on. If you are not a griever or somebody who has lost and you tell a griever that they should just move on, you're kind of a shitty person for that. <laughs> I mean, we don't need you to tell us to move on as if we don't already know that the world is expecting us to and has continued to move on even though our world has stopped and everything that we had ever had planned is now different and can never be the same and never be what we thought it would be because it's impossible because the person that we planned to be there for those things is no longer available to be there. So telling a griever to move on or even to move forward unless you are very close to them and you know what you are saying to them is going to be productive, it is not helpful in any way <laughs> to say that to somebody who's just like in the beginning stages of grieving and sometimes it, it sometimes it's five ten years before somebody moves out of the depths of sadness and sorrow and heaviness that the beginning and you know when you're for the very first day of loss can take 10 years to move through um, and it can consume some, some never really recover from it. They, 
become a very shell of a person, you know, and, and do the very minimum because they can't figure out how to move through the loss because it fucking hurts. It hurts like hell. I had an entire life planned with that man. We were, we had all of these things, all these dreams, all these plans, more babies to have. And none of that was going to happen. Um, so I kind of went crazy. I mean, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I did a little bit. Okay, so it wasn't that I went crazy. It's that I felt crazy and it's normal. It's super normal. But you know, when you're grieving and you, and I hope that, I hope and pray for every person that is experiencing an extreme loss for the first time or even the second or the third and God bless your heart. I hope you don't have to go through it that many times. Um, you know, I hope that you have somebody who has also experienced that kind of extreme loss. I hate even hoping that for people because it just breaks my heart, but they will understand to a different core what you may need when you don't even realize it. Because a lot of times we feel like we need the space or we feel like maybe we don't. We just want to be like held and, you know, and have someone around constantly and, and then being unsure of if you want somebody there, if you don't want somebody there, maybe you want somebody standing on the other side of the door so you know they're there, but then there's a lot that goes into it. And it's not easy, you know, being the one to support someone going through their grief, but to, to be in the midst of it and try to, people are like, well, what do you want? That's, if what we want, <laughs> we can't have. Um, and everything else seems really small and irrelevant to what we, that want, that specific want. Now you want us to still get up and do everything and just to make all these decisions like everybody does every single day. And how in the world could we make all of these decisions when we can't even have the one thing that we want and we're so fixated on the loss. It's like, I don't fucking know what I want for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I, I got I, before he was dead, I didn't even know what I wanted for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. Now you want me to just, you know, like, oh, well, what can I do to help you? That those are good intention questions, but when somebody is in the beginning of loss, we just need you to do certain things, okay? Things that you can do for someone that is grieving in the beginning. You can come do laundry or pick up their laundry and go do it and bring it back, okay? Fold it, all those things. Just help do the laundry. Um, having like what they call grief groceries dropped off, okay? It doesn't even, it doesn't even have to be meals, just easy things, you know, um, or like frozen meals or you just like ice cream, Oreos to binge, uh, chips and dip. I mean, just simple things. It doesn't have to be healthy. It doesn't have to be fantastic. It just has to be some A and B go together. Boom. Grab it, sit down on the couch. This stick it in the microwave, two and a half minutes. It works. Food trains. If they don't have a food train set up, 
please, I wish people understood that food trains should last for a freaking month for every person grieving. Like, even if they have to go back to work, even if they're a parent, even if they have other responsibilities, food trains should last a month for anybody who is going through a loss because they, you just don't even understand how helpful it is. The dinners that were brought to us after Curtis died, the dinners that were brought to us after my dad died, they, they were like, they were like little pieces of comfort and love from other people. It was like, you know, food speaks to the soul and, and I truly believe like the people who built the casseroles and the Alfredo and, oh God, there was some really good chicken Alfredo and, (laughs) and all of these different you know, meals that, or the Costco chicken pot pie or whatever that were just brought to us because that's how they felt they could help. It helped. It helped. Food helped. It it made one less thing that we had to make a decision about. It made it easy to warm up something the next day for lunch or to have the option of many different meals sometimes still because people just drop off, you know, meals to freeze until you can eat them. But it made it so easy. We didn't have to think about that. We didn't have to make that decision. And a lot of times in the beginning, like, the world doesn't see, you know, I wish that the world recognized grief and loss the same way that the world recognized uh maternity leave that's what it's called right I should know I had it um uh yeah so like I in Washington state now I know that a lot of places you can actually get like 12 weeks of leave um and and thank god I worked for the school district and I got much more than 12 weeks of leave uh when Curtis died but like, a lot of people don't get that. They don't even get, like, a week sometimes. I mean, maybe for something so significant, it's, like, a week or two stretch, and they're making you use your paid time off, you know, um, or your vacation days to get it. You're not, it's not even anything else. And then you have to go back to work. You have to keep living. You have to keep providing. You can't just sit and wallow. And so then you have to add that stress back in, and then the people at work who are going to say the things and do the things and, you know, and try to either talk to you or that are going to whisper or are going to tell the stories or whatever is going to happen. And, um, and then you're there, you just like, uh, there's so much to the beginning of grief that people I just don't really think understand. Just going back to work. You know, trying to trying to get up, taking care of a brand new baby, being God, uh, girl I went to school with. I believe he was her fiance. Uh, he died, and she was nine months pregnant. And and you know, I was just thinking, thank you God for letting me have my son before he he had to go. And hurting so bad for her and only imagining because I could only imagine 
you know? Nine months pregnant. Just blissfully waiting for a brand new little baby. And then you have to bring that baby in by yourself. Like, ugh. My heart aches when I think of her. Um, but, you know, there's so many scenarios. And sometimes we're so quick to be like, okay, well, it was a year ago. It's time that you just, come on, move on. It's time to go. It's time. I mean, life's going to keep happening. And you're right. Life is going to keep happening. But we're, we're still trying to understand how to create this new life that we didn't have a choice in having. We just have to make a new life now. We have to do things without the person we thought we were going to do them with. And some of them we can't even do anymore. It's just not, it's just not feasible. It's not real. Um, you know, and if you are a griever and you're in the beginning stages and you feel crazy and you feel just lost and you don't really know what the hell you're going to do with the rest of your life because it was planned out in your head how it would be, um, that's okay. That's, it's normal. It's normal. More people need to hear that. It is normal to feel insane. It's normal to get anxiety. It's normal to have PTSD. It's normal to have depression. It's normal to need extra help, to need medication. It's normal to, excuse me, sorry. It's normal to get counseling. It's normal to hate and feel pissed at God or whatever you believe in. Um, And if you don't believe... I mean, I guess you can be mad at not believing. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I still am. I still question. I mean, I'm. It's five and a half years since my husband passed, and you know, three and a half since my dad, and. I still, to this day, if I'm asked if I would like to go to church, I say, "Mm, me and God, we do not see eye to eye. We don't. And I am not in a space where I would like to go. Mm. Um, And that's because I don't even know what I really believe and I don't really want to have that conversation with anybody because I don't want to hear their justification on why it was that... uh, Dear Lord, if everybody could stop saying this, this goes with this. Stop saying that God needed them more. What is wrong with you? Why would you say that to somebody? Do you know how many times people said that to me about both my dad and my husband and my grandmas? Like, shut up. Are you freaking kidding me? God needed my husband more than my fucking son did? You're smoked. Dude, don't talk to me. I can't. Like, <laughs> sorry. Um, telling a griever, like, that somebody needed them more than them, <laughs> you might as well just be lighting yourself on fire. Like, what are you doing? That is a terrible thing to say to somebody else. Things that you don't say to them are, you know, well, at least they're not hurting anymore. And... God, maybe they could have been going through cancer and maybe they aren't hurting anymore. And we're very aware of that. I mean, we're probably thinking it too. But when you say it, 
it's like, what? Like, well, they're in a better place now and they're not hurting anymore. They're in a better place. Yeah, I could agree. They're probably not hurting anymore. They're in a better place. You think they're in a better place than being here with their family that they loved and that we loved them? Y'all got to just... It's so... Because people are uncomfortable. Because we are uneducated about grief. We are completely uneducated about things in life. Real things that happen in life. We do not have the proper education and understanding of how to actually help. Be helpful in these situations. Or process them. Understand them. Move through them. We don't have that because we weren't. Those aren't those aren't things that are taught to us. We're not taught how to grieve, and even if you were, it wouldn't be the right way anyways because everybody grieves differently. But we're not taught, you know, the sympatheticness of somebody else losing, or you losing. It's just, you know, well, oh, that's so sad. I'll say a prayer for you, and then you move on, and that's okay. You don't need to fixate on everybody else's broken and their their loss and their trauma but you also don't just get to you know um you do but you shouldn't get the right to just make them feel like it's insignificant like they they just need to let it go move forward um like the world is still going. We're aware the world is still going. But like right now, you know, in those beginning stages, I just, I slept as much as I could. And, you know, thank God I had a newborn because he slept too. I mean, during the day. God, man, that was a struggle. Oh, I, it actually really made it hard for me to, I struggled heavily with being a brand new mom, having a brand new baby and trying to just understand what was happening I mean, I lost weight and people told me how much weight I lost and how skinny I was and how I needed to eat more and I needed to eat it. Come on, can't you just eat another burger or why don't you have another milkshake or why don't you do this or why don't you do that? And you're like, hello. First of all, I was breastfeeding a baby. Second of all, <laughs> my my husband died. My whole family's falling apart. My little brother is putting a fucking gun in his mouth. Like, you think that this is easy? Oh, well, yeah, we have our family. My fucking family is falling apart, dude. That's what happens when loss happens. You know? It's not just like all of a sudden I'm just grieving inside. That's the other thing. We're sitting here. (laughs) Our families are falling apart. Everybody's angry or fighting or sad or can't handle it and so they start using more drugs or you know they're putting guns in their mouth or they're they're talking about suicide or they're they they're you know god for one loss and then all of a sudden it's three because it's a ripple effect of they died i can't handle it suicide happens that happens so another suicide happens and I mean, you you just don't even understand the depth of everything that's going on. And then we make these comments and I know that they're supposed to be helpful. And then we're trying to feel, keep the connection, make them feel connected or whatever to you. But you're, you, you just don't, you just don't know. 
you know, those, those beginning, especially like that early year, two years even is like, there's so much chaos happening inside your body. And for a lot, there's so much chaos happening outside of that, you know, um, you, there's there's many times where the the other like the significant other's family cuts you off or they you know they blame you or they i mean your your own family blames you or or whatever it is and or they can't handle it and they're so they're so destroyed by the grief themselves that they're self-destructing and the family's imploding and You know, there was so much that was going on and it was so heavy. And then like, you know, there's the, oh, honey, you're young. You'll find another love. What in the world? Why would you ever say that to anybody? I just, and then it doesn't matter that I was 23 years old. And I, at that point, I was like, I I couldn't even help but literally sometimes tell people, fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you for saying that to me. Like, what is, what in the good Lord is, what is wrong with you? Why would you say that? Um, God, I hope that this is making sense to people and that it's relatable and understandable. And I think that sometimes these are just going to be spews and maybe they're not going to make sense. Maybe some of these podcasts are just going to be totally unrelatable to you. But I really know that there are some people that just need to hear the inside of my brain so that when they're moving through the grief that they're moving through, they know that they're not crazy, okay? I am, I told you, multiple years into the grief and my brain still ping-pongs now from thing to thing and how I express emotion and how it all goes down in my head and how I explain it. It's just, it's a lot. It, It's not... It doesn't connect like it used to. And that's the other thing. Like, you feel like this, like, fogginess in your brain. Like, things just don't compute the same way that they used to. And you've... You just feel, like, so lost. And, like, it's dark and scary inside your mind. And then it's just, like, the world is busy and keeps happening. And you're what once was, you know, a normal day for you in work or whatever is now filled with so much anxiety and stress. And, and it's no different, you know, on the outside looking in, it's no different because you're just doing the same things you were already doing. But internally, you're so chaotic inside that doing those things is like insanely difficult um I feel like if we understood more about grief and kind of what goes down and what's happening and where things can really be supported it would be it would be different there is so much loss in this world um And there are so many people that are just walking around with broken hearts from losing their spouse. 
and I or or any loved one and I just want you to know like these spaces where you feel lonely you feel isolated you feel crazy you feel angry you feel this intense sadness that's just deep in your soul it is normal and it is okay to be there it is okay to be there it's okay to stop and stay it's okay to be lost in it it's okay to cry every day multiple times a day it's okay to scream at the world it's okay to yell at the tv it's okay to be angry it's it's okay to not know how your life's gonna be now and I know it's really fucking scary and it's really fucking heartbreaking and you had all of these plans and all these dreams and the thought of getting old and sitting in the rocking chairs on the porch or watching your grandkids play or going and traveling together or being in a nursing home or having to be in wheelchairs together or pushing each other around in wheelchairs or doing all of the crazy shit or getting to the point in age where you just don't give a shit anymore and you guys are so excited to just have no filter and mess with your grandkids and just all of those things that now can never happen with that person. It's okay. It's okay to be it's okay to be lost. It's okay to be fucking angry about it. It's okay. You don't have to explain it to anybody and you don't have to justify it to anybody. You don't have to uh, that's the other thing. It's like we're like word vomiting pirates right now. Like, okay, so what when you lose somebody, it's like, hey, how's your day? Oh, my fucking husband died three days ago. Like <laughs> hey, How's it been? Well, my husband died six months ago. Yeah, he, I mean, like, full, it's like word vomit detail of the shit, of the most gruesome parts of the story. Um, or like, you know, just the, the way they died, uh, or, you know, just TMI details, many times to strangers, or like, even people that you know that you haven't seen in a while, like, oh, you know, and they're, you're just passing them by in the grocery store, and now you're like, oh, great, my husband died. Like, it's it's normal, okay? It's normal to do weird word vomiting stuff, and I, it's going to make people uncomfortable, and people are not going to know what to say, and it's probably going to piss you off and irritate you more. Um, these people are going to say really dumb things because they don't know what to say and because we kind of put them on the spot unintentionally by telling them what happened in our life because it feels very real and like it's, it's very present for us and, um, we're trying to normalize it in our brains and rationalize what's happening and the people that we're doing it to most of the time have not experienced something like that and that's why you're getting the responses that you're getting okay these people just don't know what to say they don't they don't know they feel obligated to say something and they have no fucking clue what they're saying and honestly do you even know what you would want them to say to you that would make you feel better do you <laughs> I didn't I didn't I thought I did I thought it was like maybe an apology but apologies I fucking hated it when people apologize to me I'm so sorry oh shut up 
That's what you're supposed to say. Great. Are you sorry? Are you really sorry? <laughs> um, you know, three years ago, we did not get along and you hated my guts. But now you're so sorry for me and my loss. Please shut up. Continue to not like me. Don't pity me. I don't need your fucking pity. You know, um, and that's the other thing. Like, just because somebody is lost and you didn't really know them or didn't really get along with them and they tell you that. You don't have to try to be their best friend or their biggest fan or something all of a sudden. We don't need that. We don't really even need that. I'm sorry. I mean, you could say I'm sorry, but most of the time it, it, in the, we're, us as grievers are, you know, out here trying to make it easier for everybody else <laughs> to process the loss, our, our profound loss. We're, we're trying to help everybody else move through it, you know, and not make them feel uncomfortable. God forbid we make anybody else feel uncomfortable about our loss. You know, it's it's completely unfair to do something like that. Um, man, this one has been just like a jump around. So I'm sorry if you are still hanging out and you're still listening. I hope that this is just like helps in a sense for you to kind of maybe ping pong some things in that crazy brain that's happening right now for you. Or if you haven't grieved someone super heavily, you haven't lost, had a heavy loss in your life, um, maybe this kind of will give you a perspective of understanding like what is actually needed versus what you're doing. Um, you know, like once again, I'll reiterate, like I know it's silly, but like food, gift cards for food, grocery, grief grocery delivery, you don't even have to drop it off. I mean, we have how many apps these days that can deliver it, you know, um, just meeting them where they're at, not bringing it up, not being weird if it's brought up, okay? They don't want to ignore. We don't want to ignore who we lost. We don't want to pretend like they don't exist anymore. And that's the other thing is it's like in the beginning, they're like, oh, shh, 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 don't talk about that. Don't talk about that. No. Well, how are we supposed to move through it when we pretend like it didn't happen? Like, you think that we can just pretend like it didn't happen? I mean, it's not like, okay, we don't need to go in full-blown detail of, oh my god, what happened? How did he die? Uh, so, um, I was very blunt about that, though, because it just really irritated me. And I was like, well, obviously, you know, the 15 articles that they wrote that were incorrect on the internet, since you didn't read those, um... My husband was drugged to death, so there's that. Under a truck, over railroad tracks, 1,200 feet, if you needed to know the details. And that's really the truth. That's really what happened. But, like, I just, like, what? We don't ask what happened, okay? If they want to tell you what happened, that's one thing. But if you want to share a story, or you want to just say, I miss them too, or you want to just share something to do with them that is okay and most of the time that's gonna make us feel better even if we're crying even if you know we're doing whatever kind of crazy emotion we're doing it makes us know that we're not the only ones that are that are sad that are lost that are hurt that are scared that 
are going to miss them. It makes us feel like we get to have a connection with somebody else for a moment, even if it's just through that that person that we both lost. Um, so, gosh. Uh, there's so much that I've just spoke on, and I don't even, I don't even know where I'm at <laughs> in all this. I just really wanted to, it's been, it's been pretty heavy, um, and shared a lot lately with me. And I felt like it was time to talk about what the beginning looks like. And as crazy and ping-pongy as this podcast probably was to listen to, that is truly the, the, I still hate saying the beginning stages, but like the first year or two years of grief, that's what's happening. You know, for some that moves a lot faster and they progress a lot faster and they're able to to function and do a lot of things different but there's still moments where grief sneaks up and it will just set you off people will you know just say things and it's going to set you off um having immense boundaries is something we will talk about grief trauma and boundaries and how we fucking put all that together because (laughs) You have to. You have to. Even, especially after grief, you have to set some serious boundaries sometimes with family because it is weird and then people just start trying to walk on you because you seem like a pushover all of a sudden or I don't really know, but it is weird. But we'll talk about that in another podcast. Um, I'm sorry for your loss. I am. I don't mean like, oh God. I'm going to write a message to you on Facebook. I'm sorry. Like, I'm so fucking sorry. I'm so sorry. I wish that I could hug you. I wish that I could hold on to you and tell you that it's going to be okay. God, I wish I could do it to every person. I think I would be so maxed out after about, like, ten hugs. But (laughs) I would do it um, just to make somebody feel okay for a minute. Just to let you know. That my soul understands your soul's ache. Um, If you're not in the midst of crazy grief and maybe you're a little bit more into it and you've kind of started to understand how to build around it or maybe you just haven't experienced heavy loss and I truly hope that that's where you are. Um, is that you haven't had to experience heavy loss. I hope that maybe this gives you a little bit of an understanding of what's happening in a grievous head um, and what life feels like to them because I think that sometimes we just really don't understand uh, what's going on. And it is not our job to be responsible for other people's emotions But it is our job to have compassion as humans. We are all connected. There is an energy that we all share as a collective. And we can can stay selfish and hold that energy and create chaos. Or we can have compassion and understanding for another one's journey. Even if we don't understand it, even if we don't agree with it, whatever the case may be, we can still be there 
and support them because as a collective we are one so we're all we're all in this together we're all aching together um yeah lord help me i hope that this was a good podcast i don't even know what to label this as I want to say what the beginning of grief looks like, but that's really, it's really not even it. It's, you know, a little bit about my story to let you know, I mean, really to let you know what it feels like to grieve, what it feels like to grieve in the beginning, in year one, in month one, in day one, in, you know, even into year two, in... And trying to understand now how you have to live with this grief and then build around it and build a new life around it. Um, Yeah. I hope that somebody somewhere needed to hear all of this. And if not, um, I'm sorry that you had to spend all this time listening. But I hope that it helped you and I hope that maybe it'll prepare you if unfortunately one day you lose someone deeply that you love or somebody that you know lose someone deeply that they love, you might have more of an answer and understanding as to what's going on in their world. Um, thank you for letting me share my story. Thank you for letting me share my insight, my chaos, my craziness. And I hope that you stick around and grow with me as every episode grows and as we evolve and we rise again. Um, I cannot wait to come back and chat with y'all about something else. So this is Natasha Lynn. Um, that's me on every social, well, on Instagram, I'm Natasha Lynn underscore official. Facebook is just Natasha Lynn. Uh, this podcast is called She's the Phoenix, a story about a girl who's rising from the ashes. I love y'all. See you next time.